I would like, if anything, I would like to do away with the misconception that what writers do mm-hmm. is it's e- it's is easy. I would love to do away with that um, because I, I just will, for one, um, it's just blatantly not true. And secondly, I have to actually try and explain that year after year to students who. And then and then they they have the lower lip quivering moment at week seven when I'm like when I've they've failed an assignment because <laughs> they can't write like but I thought this would be easy I was like what possessed you to think that yeah it's just, I mean just so. because it ostensibly has the appearance of being easy you know it's like there's like there's a shit ton of work that goes into yeah. making making the finished product look like it was effortless yeah but you don't see you know potentially the years like there was I was at a, a residency I guess it was two summers ago. Um, and there was a handful of writers there they are working on novels and yeah. had written up novels previously and were like, you know, I've been working on this thing for like five years. I'm like, I don't, I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to live with a body of work that you're producing for five years. Like, the, I can't, I get, you know, like my, the longest that I've spent on a manuscript is maybe like, Actively writing it, maybe like a, a year. It gets longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it gets longer. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I know other people who've been working on the same novel for a decade, and, and, and they'll go through stages of being very much at peace with that, and sometimes <laughs> they find it galling. But, you know, it's, it's, a, very, um, it's a very sporadic process. It yeah. can be, and I think that we put so much undue pressure on ourselves to... Um, to believe that we have to work to a certain criteria that we've set, that we believe yeah. in, you know, we've said it for ourselves or somebody else yeah. did or, and it, and it can be, and it's just that the, the, the surefire way never to get anything finished. Yeah. So what residency were you at? Uh, the remote studio center. I've been there too. Isn't it great? Isn't it, it the loveliest place? It was like, I think that it is, it has ruined me for actual, like figuring out work-life balance because I yes. I had a month I, I had a month where I was I was living the life that I've yes, I wanted to live <laughs> since I became I was like I'm gonna be a poet <clears throat> yeah and it's like fuck I know it's 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 actually um, I think I think I felt exactly the same uh, I was in January and so it was just like this winter paradise and um, and shuffling around just you know wearing big boots and sweaters and eating all that really nice food and then riding all day every day and then having great um like eight hours of sleep and drinking no alcohol it was i thought i'm winning this is it's very simple yeah and then then we then me and my 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 friends had my new friends had this big chat how do we maintain momentum and we made all these plans to each other and then of course a week later forgot everything it's it's impossible to yeah well that's i think I've talked with, with some friends. I was actually at um, City Lit this past weekend, and mm-hmm. I was, it was because of all the other stuff that was happening, it was a, a very small turnout, so I had a lot of time to talk to my table mates. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking about residencies and other stuff, and I, I, some, some thoughts that I've had about residencies have sort of crystallized because of that conversation that, like, it's... Like, I personally write very, very sporadically, um, I do sort of sprints mostly and it's usually if there's like there's a if an idea pops up if I can't do anything about it right then it'll sort of sink back down and continue to yeah, like yeah I'm a bit you know, like that actually as well yeah it'll it'll continue to like grow and pick up things and then 
when it reaches a point of sort of like insustainability underneath, it'll pop back up. And that's usually the cue that's like, oh, I actually have to write this. Otherwise, yeah. this thing's going to vanish. Yeah. And nice yeah. I think because when I when I was in the when I was at the studio center, I, I did a poem a day just to see if I could do it. And like it was it was a, so much easier than I thought it would be because my experience in, until then was that like I write only kind of when the spirit moves me and I was like I don't know if the spirit's <laughs> going to move me every day and yeah. I think I think for me the fact that that I could I could wholly give myself over to maintaining the sort of receptive creative space yeah. that in those moments when I'm writing poems exist but it's like it's little like spurts yeah. of it instead of being able to maintain it for a month yeah, it's a natural and the like being, I think, in Vermont and at the location, not having to worry about food, not having to worry about, you know, like traveling anywhere, being surrounded by so many other really fantastic artists and just really wonderful people. Um, it was like I could just, I fell into just being open and I could stay open. And there, there wasn't anything that was going to, I think, negatively impact me being that open versus being you know like not in a residency situation and trying to maintain that openness that like I would miss bill deadlines or like yeah. I wouldn't work or I would leave work early every day you know that sort of that I don't know that it would be it would be irresponsible to try to maintain that not in an environment that's sort of okay. I think given yeah. to that and yeah that's that's what I soon realized um but it was wonderful to to experience it and see it as um, as like how we hope maybe retirement would right. look like, you know? Yeah, or like I've been I've been really trying to rack my brain since then of like how how do you how do you do it? How do you how do you get to the point where mm. again we get a huge advance? I mean, I, I I know fiction writers who actually live that life. I know one of them who lives in Hawaii and lives a life of un- unmitigated bliss. I think I think that I actually think that's what he. Yeah, but I'm I'm wondering. So I th- I think that it's attainable for writers, sort of generally. But I'm I'm very curious if it's attainable for poets specifically because there's <laughs> yeah. not. No. There's no. I mean, there's like there's money, but it's not. Yeah, I mean, most of the most of the poets that I would consider like well-known American poets mm. teach usually it's like that's that's the thing that they yeah. that they do which yeah they do I mean me and Dora had this conversation the other day um pointed out we were pointing out that the um I mean there are um you know some poets working today who have agents and they are they're very well known and they they will um they don't teach mm-hmm. um, full time. They get visiting gigs, or mm-hmm. they don't, or they they get paid for they get paid a few thousand for each gig. Yeah, um, and so there are, and there's a few of them, and we know who they are. Um, and firstly, great, cool. Um, but secondly, this doesn't trickle down. Yeah, you know, it's it's not a, in any way um, a kind of. Um, rolling snowball. I'm using lots of dumb metaphors. It's not like a rolling snowball of um, awareness, whereby suddenly. Um, life becomes easier for poets just because more poetry is being read. Right. Um, there was a, did you see Kathy Park Hong's Twitter? Do, do, are you on Twitter? I'm not really mm, on Not it. anymore. I'm not. I just sort of went back and, and opened it up and then immediately saw an argument. And Kathy Park Hong had um, posted something along the lines of, I'm worried that the internet 
is um, is be- because of the internet we don't read difficult poetry. Difficult poetry isn't being read, and um, mm. and uh, she didn't mean what people thought she meant. Um, and then she got savaged, but some people were um, critiquing that, and others were agreeing with her, and it, it was quite an interesting debate. But it, it made me immediately not want to open Twitter again for the next <laughs> ten years. Yeah. Um, but also the fact that um, I still, I think, for poets, it's a really sore point that we, we want to support one another, and we want to, and we're very happy when. Um, and I still think the maxim a success for one of us is a success for all it still applies yeah. because poetry is still so marginalised and, and still so um, you know maligned and often yeah. uh, but, um, but it's also true that we can't make a living <laughs> so and, and, um, and we and, it's, and few of us will actually be well known right yeah right? and that's, so. that's I had a, I had a I've had some discussions with like writer friends and poet friends about like the sort of um, I don't know the insurgence of and maybe insurgence is not the right word but the the sort of like um, sudden success of like Instagram poets yeah yeah and I like I I feel really ambivalent about it because on the one hand like it's if it's if the people reading that are being led into like greater introspection or being like led into just a greater world of art and you know like are finding language for things that they didn't have language for Mm -hmm. like that's great that is absolutely fantastic i would like i hope that you know that's that is a positive thing that at least like in a in a way or a a, maybe a a a particular context context that poetry is being Mm -hmm. like pushed out to a wider audience but on the other side so much of that writing at least for me personally, like falls flat and doesn't feel like it's doing really a whole lot of like, I don't know, like heavy lifting or it's like, or unlock, at least like for me, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's, it's reaching into those really deep places that yeah. when I read poetry, it's like, I want to be touched way deep down where I live. Yeah. And yeah. I was actually, I was having this discussion with a, a friend of mine, maybe like a week ago or a couple months ago, the idea that like, the sort of um, like paradoxical quality that the more specific that you get, I've encountered this more mostly with poetry that the most like the more specific and maybe autobiographical, but like unique that you get as a poet, the, the more that you can push deep into the sort of universal. Mm -hmm. um, I, in, for me, it, I think it's because, or at least the way that I've, I've sort of understood it is that, you're doing you're pushing into by being so specific in in like drawing out the sort of uniqueness of how you see a thing and how you describe the thing and like you're capturing what i would consider like a poetic truth or like an emotional truth about it which is that avenue into like everyone has felt this thing they just get to it it's like i don't know if you had like a well and you had a bunch of different people drilling from the surface and tapping yeah. into that well it's like everyone has felt that it's they've kind of gone through it different ways but they all sort of wind up at this center place yeah. of like oh yes i like i felt that yeah, and yeah. that's sort of unlocking and i feel like with at least a lot of the instagram poetry or the sort of new wave of that style of poetry that i read it feels more on the surface generic so in that way, it feels like it's connecting to a lot of people because it's, it's generally talking about things that a lot of people have, yeah. have felt. 
but it doesn't really like it doesn't push into a place of like well okay well what are you telling me about this that's new it's like what are you telling me about this that I don't already know and I don't know if it's if I feel the way because I'm like I'm in my 30s and I've lived a fairly <laughs> you know I've lived for a while and I've thought deeply and felt deeply about stuff so like I've arrived at these places of like mm-hmm. oh yes of course yeah, yeah. but for people that are you know, like younger, maybe teens, adolescents, I don't know, early twenties that have are beginning to feel these things for the first time, yeah. you know, it's like, it might be a touchstone of like, Oh, someone else has, yeah. you know, felt yeah. that. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think, um, I, yeah, the, the accessibility of that type of poetry, um, is, Again, not. I also, I also, I also have an ambivalence. I think that uh, if I, I'm just tracing my mind back to being 15 <laughs> and and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I would have very much welcomed that kind of, um, you know, very sort of um, that full disclosure mm-hmm. and that sort of, you know, particularly as a young woman, I would have found um, a yeah. solidarity in, in that. Right, and I, I, I think that that's, that's a really important point that a lot of the, at least a lot of the Instagram poets that have kind of gotten a lot of notoriety are usually are like young women of color, mm-hmm. or like young women, and a lot of them are young women of yeah. color, which yeah. is like that, I think, is a, is a huge element of I think some of maybe the clap back against criticism to that, that type of poetry is that you know, like it's the the voice of these young women, you know, a lot of young women of color too, that like, that's, this is how, this is what their voice sounds like. And this is how exactly. they're choosing to express yeah. themselves. So yeah. like, is the criticism coming from a place of like, you know, cr- like critiquing technique or, you know, like mm. critiquing voice or whatever, or is it that like, it's an uncomfortableness that, or an envy or, you know, whatever, or backlash. It's a bit that... of everything. I think, I think we, there's, there's not a one size fits all yeah. um, way of analyzing poetry. And I think that the, the grumbling that you see, people who are more vociferously against Instagram poetry is, is that um, the, what they believe is this kind of hard one um, mm. way of critique mm-hmm. right? somehow is no longer valid, that they're, the, the sort of magic key to the kingdom doesn't yeah. fit anymore, and I say, and, and I, I think, and um, and I, I push against that. I think that's silly. I mean, that's that's elitist. Um, but at the same time, I, I just I want to say that you can have everything. You know, you yeah. just but there are and there are ways. You just have to adapt critique. Right. You know, you have to. Adapt. I'm sure somewhere somebody's doing a PhD on the strands of Instagram poetics. Oh, yeah. I don't know that. I haven't got a clue about the strand of Instagram poetics. Yeah. But I bet there is someone doing it. I'll read it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it might it might not be something I'll read again. <laughs> but I, but I, I'm yeah. glad it's there. Yeah. You know, and so why on earth am I going to start, you know, imposing uh, the the new critics on that kind of poetry? It's 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 different. Right. Yeah. Know? And I I think I don't know. I <coughs> I've noticed in over the the last handful of years, I've I've made it a point and now it's sort of become an unconscious thing to like when I when I voice opinions or when I voice things I very I make pains to couch it as like this is for me this is like this extends you know um because I think that might be part of it too that they have you know kind of like what you're saying that like the 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 keys to the kingdom don't 
like they're not they don't work or the the doors have been blown open that yeah, yeah. you know like it's not the it's not the poetry that that I grew up reading or that I was taught it's like well I mean there's poets that I gravitate towards and I recognize that I gravitate towards them and um you know it's like I accept that about myself but I also I I work and this is I feel like this is part of the conflict that like I I try to do the work to see like the bright spots and other stuff because like Mary Oliver is one of my mm-hmm. all-time favorite poets and like she I think it was an, in, on an NPR interview she said something along the lines it's like poetry is not or at least in her view poetry is not supposed to be a, like a difficult thing to yeah. read so like her poetry is very very straightforward and I would argue like pretty easy to understand but it also I feel like hits me a lot of the time in ways that I don't expect and it yeah. hits me real fucking deep um and so it's like that's the sort of like you know easy relatively everyday language for both of them but one feels like it's doing it's like penetrating or it's soaking in deeper or more Mm -hmm. over another one which it might be the like the how instagram poetry is being utilized is different like you said it's like it's there's a different set of criteria for that and a different way that it has to be seen and looked at and appreciated and critiqued because it's you know like you can't you wouldn't you wouldn't put I don't know like the same rules or the same analysis of like I don't know like a Bach piece versus I don't know like a hip hop thing it's like they're told they're mm-hmm. totally different yeah you know so. yeah yeah they are and I think that it um, a lot of it's predicated on um, how aware the creator is of their audience like many of these um, Instagram mm-hmm. poets say they know precisely the medium which it is going to be yep. read whereas um, a poet like Mary Oliver who um, articulates poetry and as you say in that um, manner mm-hmm. um, her notion of audience was radically different and it's the kind of um, you know, she, she speaks in, in universals as well as specifics mm-hmm. but um, speaks like in a way that we all probably do as poets which is that kind of um, um, microphone into an empty room mm-hmm. you know yep. you're not quite sure who's going to listen and who's going to pick up yep. um, but this other platform it's different it's so audience aware and I think mm-hmm. that might have something to do with the you know our emotive connection with it or lack thereof yeah you know, so yeah me- the medium is the message yeah and I th- it's it would be interesting to me if like <clears throat> I don't I don't even know if this would be possible if someone like published an Instagram feed as a chat book or oh, like, or like, yeah. or like, released a chat book as an Instagram story or something along the yeah. like an album or something. Someone's like, doing it. They, they've got to be. Yeah, because yeah. like that, and even because thinking about you know like when like e-readers and all of that e-books and stuff came about, and I was like, oh, it's the death of print media, or like when literary journals went to online stuff. It's like, oh, print media is dead and blah blah. And it's like, well, I mean, a form of it is sort of maybe going away, but there are other. F- forms of it that are still I mean, like you can't do letterpress online Mm-mm. and like you know there's like chapbook that's a huge part of yeah. like poetry chapbooks but that I mean again sort of in and of itself that's a you know a little you know it's and I, I think maybe with poetry it's a little easier to uh, to do things that are maybe more experimental or do things for the sake of doing them versus like oh I have yeah. to like you know I have to do this to sell thousands of copies. Yeah, it's like, I'll be lucky to sell a thousand copies 
in a lifetime of <laughs> <laughs> a book. I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, it's going to have to be a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think, at least in my experience, and I don't, I don't know if this is still the case or not, it feels like within at least like the, the aspects of the poetry world that I've sort of interacted with, it feels like there's a lot less direct competition between poets yeah. versus other forms of it. Because, like, you know, it, there's, there's not that sort of like capitalistic need to be mm-hmm. trying to go head to head against someone that like, oh, your any growth of your audience is a is a shrinkage of my audience. Yeah, that doesn't. It feels it. like it's just it's like yeah, there's no it's like nobody gives a shit. It's like there's no money in this. No, no one cares. It's just no. do whatever you want to do. Go no. ahead. No, I mean it, it might be it might it might be different, but it's not something I've I've encountered at all. It's also something that you can dip in and dip out of. I mean, I'm not writing much in, at the moment. Yeah, um, you said that when we were emailing. Yeah, or, I just, yeah, I just don't. I'm just not writing at the moment. But I know, I don't think I, I've particularly lost any traction. Yeah. Do you know? I think I'll probably, you know, surface a, a, <laughs> a finite amount of time and it'll all still be there. It's yeah. not as if I've um, sunk without a trace. And that's, that's one thing about poetry. You can, you can be a late bloomer or you can um, disappear for a bit um, because of precisely what you said. There's no, you're not going to miss out yeah because we're not missing out on much <laughs> it's like it's in a way yeah so that's what I uh, that's what I think yeah it's, it's one way of being positive yeah well I um we've been talking for almost a half an hour and I feel like we're already sort of well <laughs> well into the actual episode so I'm gonna go ahead and introduce you okay. um so welcome everyone to uh 30 minutes into uh season four episode five of So Poetry um, I've been, I'm sitting here and been talking with the wonderful Jane Ludy. Um, would you like to formally introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you're up to these days aside from not writing? Okay, sure. <laughs> Hi, I'm, I'm Jane Ludy. Um, I'm a poet. I um, live in Baltimore at the moment. Um, I have um, two poetry collections, um, Bravura Cool uh, from 1913 Press, and my latest collection is called In One Form to Find Another. Um, from Cleveland State University Poetry Center, which came out a couple of years ago. They, they're the, um, so, since we were talking about Anthony earlier, his, um, his full-length memoir was published by them. He won their, um, their memoir prize. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're, they're a great press. No, I have, um, I had a great experience with them. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect to, didn't expect to in any way get that book published, but, um, glad that I did. What, why, what about it did you, made you think that it, you weren't going to get it published? Because it wasn't finished. Oh. It wasn't finished. It was, um, actually, since we were talking about Vermont, mm-hmm. I, I, um, I wrote the vast majority of it on a residency at Vermont. Oh. And, um, and was invested with the, I think the kind of confidence that you get after a residency, which is mostly false, but mm-hmm. A, you can continue to have this blissful lifestyle B you'll never stop writing Mm -hmm. um, and see that what you've produced is the best work of your life yeah and so I I compiled it on the train down from once into this 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 collection and and it was it was it was functioning and then over the next few months I sort of whacked it into shape (laughs) um keep talking I'm gonna gonna close the window sure and then um I 
And then probably still feeling a little bit overconfident, I, I sent it to a couple of competitions and CSUs was one of them. Mm -hmm. um, because I'd actually been shopping my second book around for a long time. Mm. This third book leapfrogged the second book <laughs> and then got picked up. So I still have this other book that I'd worked out for years that is finished and now can't find a home. <laughs> it's odd. And then um, we yeah. we should maybe talk about that after. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, wow, that's that's wild. I um, so I I've been thinking about since we were talking about the studio center. Like I have I have a a pretty solid I think chapbook of Vermont poems that I'm currently I don't I feel like if I would have published them or if I would have pushed them out like right after the residency, it would have had a little bit more of a weight. But now it's like. Two, almost two years later, I'm like, well, no one's going to want to read a bunch of just like 30 poems about being in Vermont. But I would. That's that's reassuring, you know. But potential segue into a thing that you did a couple weekends ago. There is a um, residency in New Orleans that I've had my eye on, um, and I'm I'm from there. I grew. I spent 21 years oh, right out right outside of New Orleans. It's a great town. I love it. Um, but the. You know, like, you know, Johnson, like the, the river that runs right through mm -hmm. it. Um, it, I think being in close proximity to moving water again, it picked up or kicked up a lot of like family things that I hadn't thought about in years. <coughs> so I'm hoping that whenever the, the New Orleans poetry um, residency opens up again, I'm, I can get it. Then I write another 30 poems sort of like <laughs> in response to it and then have like a like a concept of like, okay, yes, now this is, makes sense as a as a book instead I of just I see. So, like, so dialoguing with one mm -hmm. another. Okay, so what so what's this residency? Um I think it might oh I'd have to I'll I'll find it for you. Okay, yeah, um, you I'm, should do that. Is it called Delta Workers? I don't think so. No? Um I let me see. I think it's just the New Orleans Writers Residency. Yeah. Oh, I hope you get it. Um I've I've had my eye on it for yeah. a bit because it's been, oh geez, it's been a, a long time since I've been back in like New Orleans proper, and I thought that it would be um, fun to return in a very sort of like limited but also kind of expansive way. That's like I'm, I'm going to be there for right, but have the freedom to you know yeah. kind of mosey about and try to you know reconnect to all these places that I haven't seen in like a decade. Is is that the last time you were there? Um, let's see, the last time I was there was in, like, really there, and it was in 2011. Yeah, um, quite a long time. The winter of 2011, and then uh, maybe, like, four, maybe, like, four years ago, um, uh, some friends of mine who live, like, way outside the city invited me down, um, and we spent, like, we drove in one night to eat, it's like, somewhere in New Orleans, but, it, like, I didn't really spend, I think we, like, we drove through the Garden District, but that was about mm -hmm. it, um, and I brought them to my favorite place, um, in my neighborhood, um, so we, where I live, we live, um, where my parents live, like, I don't know, maybe less than three miles away from the Mississippi River and the mm -hmm. levee, so my brother and I, when we were younger, we would always ride our bikes up to the levee, and there's a, um, a pumping station. I'm not sure what it like what it pumps where, but there's a sort of like industrial so like you get up over to the levee and then there's some land before mm. you get to the river. Yeah. And there's some like industrial shipping stuff in some of the, those places and there's a pumping station sort of like right next to it. So I'm it might have something to do with with mm. them, but like that is that is one of my absolute favorite spots ever. Um right. Especially because you see like huge barges go move like moving up and down the Mississippi mm -hmm. and in, in the um, 
in the summer, if you're fortunate, you can see like thunderstorms because it's like you're up and everything else is flat. You can see thunderstorms just like moving around. I have some pictures from when I was down there I can show you after the recording. Um, and in the, the autumn, the sun, so if you're, if you're here, the sun sets diagonally across the river and you can just watch it go down and it throws up all the color and stuff in the sky and it's just like, um, so when we, when we were there, there was a storm moving through sort of like way down river. Um, but yeah, so it, it would be nice to like reconnect with some of those places in a, in a way that I can spend, actively spend time there, but also in a way of like, if I'm in that open creative space, really tap into or hopefully tap into and draw out some latent things that I've probably been needing to write about, but just haven't gotten to yeah. yet. But yeah, I see what you mean. So, so that might be one of those things that you you said you sort of pressed down and um, uh, allowed to percolate for a bit. Yeah, like the there, I the thoughts are there. I know, like I know that there's stuff. There's a lot of stuff that I need to write about because, like the the river and my brother feel like, or at least the Mississippi River and my brother and like moving water feel like they're very intertwined. Mm -hmm. And he popped up. Um, we haven't. Uh, he hasn't spoken to me since 2011, um, which was not like a big like we didn't have a big fight. He just he said he was going through some stuff and he wanted to go on it alone. And it's just it's been like almost a decade. Um, so when I was in Vermont, unexpectedly, like he popped into a number of poems and I was like, oh, okay. There's still some things that I need to like, I need to work out. Um, yeah. but I'm hoping that if I'm able to get the residency, I can do a sort of like a similar thing and really focus in on like, okay, these are, these are going to be my, my New Orleans poems. And weirdly enough, in the bathroom of like the like the the main bar in Johnson where the karaoke yeah. happened, in the bathroom in the the men's bathroom there was a um, I think it was like a 1973 uh, New Orleans Jazz Festival poster just hanging out in the bathroom, and what like I just happened to be there and I was thinking about like writing like you know Mississippi New Orleans poems and I saw that and I was like okay well obviously some sort of connection is being made. Like sort of against my will, a connection is being forced upon me. Um, so, but yeah, so I've had, I've had my eye on the, the New Orleans writer residency for a bit, but I keep missing, I keep, whenever I think about applying, it's always like a, a month after it closes. I'm like, fuck. Well, I can, um, no, I can, I can actually now say that you should do it. <laughs> it's, I've, I've been down there. I, I, I never, I didn't want to leave. It's, yeah, it's, how was it's, how was the poetry? Uh, was it a it conference was or convention? Festival, I think. Okay. I think I think, I think the term is yeah, festival. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It was right. just a really vibrant, vivid space, um, but also seemed um, wonderfully ad hoc as well. Hmm. You know, um, but that's because I, um, um, I mean, I have, I have a particular. Um, I wouldn't say antipathy towards AWP, but I don't. <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy it and care for it. I um, think I think that that. I feel like you would be hard pressed to find somebody who legitimately enjoyed AWP. <clears throat> yeah, I, mean, I, don't, I know why I'm supposed to. And, yes. and, I, and I think that yeah. it's it's great, and um, and, and I and I also um, have a sort of fond soft spot for people who who openly declare they hate it on social media <laughs> and then seem to be there <laughs> regardless and and I think that it's um 
you know, so I, again, I, I don't I don't loathe it to the point where I think it shouldn't happen, but I, I don't have a... I have a sort of expensive, an- anxious time when I'm there, so I don't go. Yeah. Um, but this was the first time I've been down to the um, NOLA Poetry Festival, and it was just very different. It just... It was held in the New Orleans Healing Center. It, it, it's a Ooh. very yeah, it's a very very small um, book fair with um, much smaller presses and um, fuck, I should have gone. Yeah, should have yeah, been. yeah. Damn it. It's um, no, I really recommend it. But I, I haven't been for a number of years because I just didn't, I just didn't think coherently about why I might enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so easy being there. It was so easy. Yeah. It's just easy. Yeah. Well, was, I mean, one of one of the catch or one of the nicknames of New Orleans is the Big Easy, which is a I think a pretty <laughs> yeah, it's yeah like I my my general sense of New Orleans and again I haven't been there in almost a decade is that like generally no one gives a shit which is can be really beneficial when you're doing things because you know it's like it's sort of it's easy to do stuff because nobody really cares mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's like you, no one like the amount of the amount of weird things that I've seen in the French Quarter at night <laughs> it's like and the fact that nobody bats an eye to any of that stuff is like I know. I know. Oh, all right. Okay. Well, I mean, I can be functionally invisible here. That's a. It's a great <laughs> sense of freedom. Yeah, that's. I hope. I hope you get down there. I hope you get down there and complete your um, your dialoguing um, collection. Yes, I hope so. I I think yeah. if I can generate, I feel like sixty poems is close is like close enough to a full length that I might because yeah, I was I've been. Generally, we were talking earlier about like writing in spurts and stuff, and I, I generally work on like small project. I, I think I work in like chapbooks essentially. Is that I, I have enough idea or enough momentum to carry me through like ten, maybe fifteen sort of related poems, and then that's all I have to say about that, and then I move on to something else. And I've been thinking about the trajectory of lots of poets that it's normally like a chapbook or two and then a full length and then sort of continued full lengths with maybe a chapbook or two mm-hmm. thrown in later. And I was really wondering, like, I don't know if I'm ever going to generate like a full length collection aside from just like a selected works of, you know, from year, one year to another year. If you get to selected works, then your, your job on this earth is done. It's, you know what I mean? So you, it, I don't think it matters how, how you get there. <laughs> um, but I think, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think every, again, everybody, um, everybody's different. And I think that, um, I, I also relate to that working in, in chat books. I mean, I think my, both of my books, sorry, not the last book, but the, the first book and the one in between that didn't get published both began as chat books. Okay. And it's just because I couldn't leave them alone. And you just sort of kept yeah. adding to them and kept... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then... Um, and then um, became... Yeah, they just became very sort of voluminous. And then I thought, wait a second. <laughs> I got a volume. I know. Yeah, it was like that. Yeah. I just kept... And that was... The, I found that quite an enjoyable process, not realizing that I was compiling a larger manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm so. I'm working on one right now that I th- I thought I was gonna cap it around like twenty something poems, and it seems like it it's continuing to grow. So yeah, it seems like it's creeping up to me. I um, well, I've, I've been working on a I call it my it's a it's a collection of bird poems that aren't actually bird poems. It's just they're all titled as a bird, and the the body of the work is sort of like an emotional echo to what I think about when What's, I think of the bird. Okay, so what made you think? Of, what made you decide on this topic? Um. I'm not really sure, because like the the body of the work itself deals with sort of my exploration of being 
identifying as a gender, but being in a very, in a male coded body uh-huh. and the sort of disconnect that I feel and trying to figure out, it's like, well, you know, how is it, how can I fully integrate myself into a body when I feel like there are like very clear indications of things about my body that don't like, will never feel like they connect with me. Uh-huh. And then I think because thinking about the body and living next to a fucking cemetery, like <laughs> death has, has really sort of, you know, like there is, I think at least to me, like thinking about the body and thinking about the sort of like finite limits that it has to me inevitably leads to like, well, it's like, it's not going to be here at some point. And like, well, what does that mean that I'm, you know, like I'm tethered to this thing that one doesn't really feel like it fits me super well, but also will have like, it has an expiration date at some yeah. point. Um, but I, I'm not really sure. I think, I think there was one poem that I wrote that I titled, like it had a bird name and I was like, oh, okay, this is, and after I, I wrote the poem and I sort of was like, oh, these are sort of like emotional rhymes of each other. And then I was like, I wonder if I can do this, like do more of these. And so I've just been writing a bunch of bird titled poems that have really nothing to, I mean, like I, I referenced birds in the poems, but I made it a conscious choice never to reference the one that it's titled for. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and like birds, like I grew up, my family was a bird watching family and I have, you know, I have tons of bird books and stuff. And, um, there are, I feel like there are two things that I can speak with some degree of authority on haiku and bird identification. Okay. And, and but both, both blend together. Yes. And so, so birds show up a lot in just some of in my work in general, um, and I was like, well, yeah, I, I'm just going to run with this and just kind of see what happens. But I, I have, I've written, I think, the majority of it. And then I keep thinking of like, oh, there's another bird that's like, yeah, I could probably get a poem out of that. So I have an, I have an ongoing list of bird poems that I need to write. And so far it has been static for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. It has not grown any. And I'm, I'm really... I would like to get it done and I would like to get it out so I can mm-hmm. move on to something else, but I have a feeling that it might continue to like tick up a and that's, little bit. That, that's, to me, sounds like the kind of sort of cumulative way that collections do yeah. build on themselves. Almost when you're not looking, Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, because you, you can't stop picking at it. And then, and then, and yeah. then suddenly, and then there might be some sort of revolutionary moment where you go, "Oh, I'm going to put this in chapters." <laughs> and then it's that's how that's how yeah. I've I've found. I mean, um, I used to be quite an ideas-based poet in terms of um, I would declare I was going to write something, mm-hmm. and um, and then research it like I was doing my academic work, and then mm. produce something that was that had all of those strands of, of inquiry. Um, and it, it works. I still do it when I'm writing. Um, but I can't say that my most successful poems have come from that. It's more like what you're describing. Really? Yeah, which is, um, you know, just letting go of the reins just a little bit mm-hmm. and, um, and being, being more interested in where an idea may go mm-hmm. than having this iron grip on it. Right, like the sort yeah. of the limit, the already sort of built in yeah. limiters that I'm going to write about <coughs> X, Y, and yeah. Z, and that's. That's the scope. Yeah. I, I think, relatedly, I think, I, I feel, I think that I feel more comfortable with chapbooks because they, they feel, at least most of the chapbooks that I've read have like relatively, have like a loose to a pretty stringent, um, like thematic cohesion to them. Yeah. Um, 
And I feel like a lot of full-length collections don't really have that. Um, I don't. It, it feels it. Most of the full-length full-lengths that I've read, and I, there are some notable exceptions to this, but most of the full-lengths that I've read feel like they're just sort of an assemblage of yeah. poems. Um, and I, I like having that sort of thematic arc. I, I love having the thematic arc. I, I, I always look for it even when it's not there. And again, that's, that's my sort of um, maybe uh, quite academicized way mm-hmm. of thinking about it. But I, I always look for it. Yeah. I think, but then, and then, get, then get surprised when, when it's actually this, this glorious assemblage. I think, oh, I could do that, but yeah. I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Both of my collections have been like these sort of, um, you know, these, these, these sort of, quite um, retentive books that are in conversation with each other in a very interior way. Mm-hmm. There's like certain poems that have, you know, companion pieces later on and it's yeah. just a nightmare for the reader, you know. <laughs> so I think I need to lighten up just a little bit. I don't but know. You know I, I like talking about how people compile um, larger works. Yeah. It's, it's good to hear people's process. Well, because I, like, in my experience, at least for, well, two things. One... I have found, I don't know why, but I've found that if I read a collection of, a full-length collection backwards, it's easier for me sometimes to see the thematic threads really? between it. I don't know, I don't know uh, why that is, but I've, I've gotten into the habit that if I'm reading a collection through, like, because I typically will go, f- like, front to back, mm-hmm. and then after that, maybe hint peck out, you know, it's like, find those moments yeah. that I need, yeah. that I just like, oh, you know, there's, I want to read Orion by Mary Oliver, and I just want to mm. read that and not read the the totality of the collection. But in, if I'm reading it front to back and I'm, I find that I'm losing interest or my attention's starting to wane, I'll then go back to front just to like, to try to re-engage with it. And it's usually, it's, it, I feel like it's much more, I wind up with much more successful, like deep reads of things when I go backwards. I've I never tried that. I should, shouldn't I? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know if it works for other people, but it has, it has worked for me more often than not. Does it help when you're compiling your own work? When you, do, do you sometimes think, um, if I read this back, then I'll see something that maybe I, I, um, missed? I don't, I don't know. I, well, like my, my first chapbook for my, my MFA thesis, um, when I finished like when I had sort of the assemblage of poems that I knew were, were going to be in the collection, there was just a sense that I had that two of them were going to be at the end. And that was just like, yeah, these yeah. are going to be the last two poems. And then it was sort of like, I had an idea of what was going to be kind of in the front. And then it was sort of like knowing where I start, knowing where I end, and then, then crafting the sort of arc between them. Yeah, that makes, yeah, okay. For the, yeah. for my second chat book, it was a, like I went, I spent uh, two weeks at a residency in Nebraska called Art Farm and did, that's where I first experimented with a poem a day mm-hmm. and that chat book was in the, like all 14 poems that I wrote in the order that I wrote them, which was an easy enough thing to lay out. It was like, okay, I'm just going to go in order with these things. Um, and with the, with the bird collection, I have a sense of like, I, I know, again, for whatever reason, I know the last two poems in the collection, and I have a, an idea of how it's going to start, but it's, it's very clearly in my mind two sections, and I have the first poem in both sections, and I think maybe the last poem in the first section. So again, I think it's going to be just sort of like, yeah. now that I, I know sort of where I want to, where it starts and where it ends, and then seeing if I can craft some sort of like arc or some sort of story, at least emotional story through it to kind of get you from one point to the other that's nice you, you've, you've established your bookends in a way yeah. the rest of it is going to be that, that's, a, that's quite reassuring um, okay I'm, I'm actually um, feel like I'm gaining a lot of advice 
Because now I'm thinking, um, yeah, if I if I uh, ever had to rewrite that book, <laughs> I would have something completely different at the end. I Why, can't do and that. I think, I mean, again, this is just this is a, a purely me thing, but I, I like those books that feel like there is some sort of, you know, like overarching idea or overarching yeah. intention behind them, and it, it feels like. Um, I don't know that like it it in that respect even more so than just a sort of like mosaic of just assembled mm-hmm. poems that there's a there's a reason that things are in the order that they're in yeah and yeah. you know like there is a reason that you start where you start and there's a reason that you end where you end um yeah. and yeah. I don't know I think I feel like there's probably I have a lot of Again, because I sort of work in projects, I have there are some poems that I've written that are sort of like projectless that I have a feeling that if I ever put them into a, a collection or just like like pull them into an existing work, it'll be just a sort of like I don't know I need something here and this <laughs> yeah. has the sort of <laughs> this has got the right page count. Yeah, um, it it is funny, isn't it? I mean, I'm thinking um, that that my my last book it has a it does have um, quite a um, a, a very tightly controlling mm-hmm. overarching narrative um, and it's in, in five sections and each one of those narratives um, sorry the sub-narratives is very contained and um, and, and I, I sometimes think that um, I highly doubt in a way nor would I want the reader to have um, a similar iron grip over the narrative as I did and I think maybe it was just more useful for me as a marker to write mm-hmm. it was good it's, it's sort of like um, I don't know you know how sometimes you, you build something and then you pull away the framework and then it doesn't matter anymore mm-hmm. um, so that that's good it helped me to write it but the reader doesn't know have to know it's there right. to understand it yeah and I kind of going back to what we're like the the ostensibly <laughs> how easy things look that's like mm-hmm. you've done a lot of work into getting it to a point where it can kind mm-hmm. of potentially stand on its own and then it's just a matter of sort of letting it like seeing the best way that it keeps its yeah. shape yeah. Um, I don't know I think so there is a like one of the one of the few uh, phone games that I got way 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 too into um, I think it might be called Gradient it's a game where like you have you there's like it's, it's a bunch of different orientations and different assemblages of the stuff, but you have mm-hmm. essentially like a color that you start with, a color that you end with, and then let's say there's like you, there's a space for seven. You have mm-hmm. the in two, and then there's the five in the middle yeah. that like very slowly the gradient color shifts from the one color to the other color, and it's a matter of just putting them in place. Okay. Um, so you'd go from like pink to a green and you have to sort of figure out like there's one that would be, it's like this is a little less pink and this one's a little more green and then there's one in the middle that's like a weird blur of the two of them and then... That sounds very absorbing. So it's, it's simply that. It's simply gradations of color. Yes, but sometimes yeah. you will, instead of having a line, you'll have like, it will go like a crossword puzzle style of a thing. You have like a, a vertical line... Um, or a horizontal line and then a vertical line and that they'll sort of okay. at one point they'll intersect but there's like two different gradients that you have or like a huge pyramid that you have to go not only from like one color to another color but they go from light to dark okay um, oh, that's difficult but in thinking in thinking about like putting together manuscripts mm. I think at least for me having like knowing where I start and knowing where I end it's easy for me to sort of slot yeah. into like I know what color needs to be here yeah. Um, cause yeah. in my, for my MFA thesis, it took me 
a while to figure out like what was the sort of arc to it. Mm -hmm. And it wound up being that the poems in the beginning start off like really isolated and really sort of anxious and there's a lot of energy that, that wants to come out and can't. And then over time they move into sort of like they become stiller or more at peace yeah. and a little more expansive and a little more um, connective with stuff outside of... Mm -hmm. Like, the earlier poems are really, really insular. It feels like I'm... It's just me sort of ping-ponging back and forth in myself. Mm -hmm. And then they move into a place where it's looking out yeah. more. But there was one poem that wound up being the sort of fulcrum poem that the way that I had originally written it wound up in a... a like it started out open and it sort of closed down and became more insular. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, it has to be in the middle. There's no other place for this poem to go, but it can't go, it can't function the way that I originally wrote it because that's not the way the arc is going. So I essentially oh, just swapped like the first and the last stanza so that it starts off really tight and really insular and then gradually opens up. And I was like, this right. is like... That's one of those great editing moments, isn't it? Thinking it, it's, it's slotted in. It, yeah. it now has a, a place and now it can't be removed right and then knowing it that's like oh okay well the only way for this to work is that I have to swap these things and mm -hmm. like it didn't change the sort of I mean it changed the, yeah. the emotional narrative of the poem but it didn't like I, I never would have thought in editing that poem that I needed to just to and spin you, it yeah, you just didn't know until you found its place right. that's, and that's really rewarding actually yeah that's and really I, I think that it would be very difficult for me to, to assemble a collection of poetry without having something sort of like that in mind where yeah. I, I know, like at least in sort of broad strokes, I can sort of plot out mm -hmm. how things need to go and then I know that if something's going to be in a place and if there's an edit or something I need to do with it, I know it's like, oh, this is like the color or the emotion or this is how it needs to, to function mm -hmm. as a microcosm of the, the overall arc in order for it to work in the place that, yeah. that it is. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Organizing that stuff is I spent I think I think I spent more time actively organizing my first manuscript than I did on like editing it. I can imagine. Just like yeah. and it's spreading spreading all these poems out on a table and just so like slipping moving around and like reading through and being like no, I got to move these and then I know. It's 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 very and then then and then never feeling entirely convinced that it's workable, perhaps. <laughs> and I'm thinking I've got to maybe write one more as a bridging poem. Yeah. It becomes like like cutting a hedge, you know. It's it's never going to be um, the the dream hedge, <laughs> you know. It's like it just isn't. But no, I mean now, and I'm thinking about this 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 poor dormant book that never um, saw the light of day, and um, and I think a lot of the problem with that was the compilation. It's about dance music, and every oh. every track has. Um, has uh, two or three titles, but they all... Okay, so hmm, there's five tracks, and uh, there's five tracks within the tracks, and they all have an answering track. It's built on, basically... Okay. Um, it is it is a, a concerto, in a way. Mm -hmm. Or, a, oh, sorry, or an, an EDM track. Mm -hmm. um, and, but I don't know if my, my, my musical knowledge is sufficient to make that apparent. Gotcha. I do play musical instruments, but it's a very long time ago, and I'm, I'm not a DJ. I'm just not. <laughs> but it's... Um, but it, so I, I was so tentatively playing with that kind of arrangement, but it, I found it in the end too rigorous. So I didn't have that experience you're talking about where mm -hmm. I have a lovely surprise where a poem um, somehow manages to cohere itself mm -hmm. within the wider scheme of things almost by accident. Right. 
Uh, and instead, I was found myself grudgingly sort of inserting another track, thinking it just doesn't mm. go. But I have this pattern that I have to repeat, you know, in in part four, and, and it wasn't ultimately enjoyable because mm-hmm. I wasn't really allowing myself for those happy accidents. Right. You, know, you so. might you might want to, I don't know. You might want to just like put them put all the poems together and allow it to be like a mixtape or like a playlist. And just let it let it be because you have like you have all the songs, <coughs> mm-hmm. quote unquote songs, yes. and you know how like if some are in call and response to each other or yeah. if they're in dialogue with each other, you can sort of like you can let those moments of conversation happen sort of where they happen, especially yes. if like if there's I don't know if if it's apparent that they're related to each other, then I feel like they can be anywhere and the reader will know. It's like, oh yeah, that's, this is a callback to this thing. Yeah. Why don't I just, yeah, I could just relax over this. Couldn't I? I could, it could just be like a, it's a long time since I've heard the the phrase mixtape. Yeah. It could just be like a mixtape. Like a mixed CB. A mixed CB. Yeah. It's definitely more akin to that. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that. This is actually quite inspiring because I never thought about, um, revisiting it as such I thought uh, you know it's one of those things yeah. that um, maybe it was a kind of apprentice book mm-hmm. but, you know it, it maybe was not meant to be published but perhaps interesting could. that's that's not yeah. something I don't know if I've ever thought about a concept like that like of doing doing a work or doing like writing a thing and then being like okay this is like like practice sketches or like the first yeah. first drafts of um, like paintings or whatever that's like okay I did. I did the work. Now I can move on to, like, taking what I learned from this and uh, applying it to this other thing. I, I that wonder I'm about on. that as well. I wonder how many people that we know, um, or don't know, poets who have got that manuscript, but we we have maybe a sort of a, a sort of defeated sense of failure or shame about yeah. them. But maybe they're just not, because because we do want to. We don't like having these spare poems that are, you know. Uh, trailing around and we want to insert them in some form of manuscript we want to at least you know land them in a publication right um, but maybe we were putting too much pressure on ourselves maybe a lot of these are just um, fully fledged drafts yeah they are the the apprentice book it's okay because if you think about other professions they have that as well yeah you know it's like a you're like a yeah. um like all the box etudes where just like you just practice things like yeah. you write these things to just like you work on your chops or you polish your you, you know go. whatever and then you know you use that there may be a phrase or a line or something that shows up later that you're like oh I can use that as a yeah yeah and it becomes hmm. a repository yeah um, that we that we sort of pick apart or, or maybe just don't or maybe visit occasionally yeah um, and maybe and maybe take away that um, you know quite uh, dispiriting feeling that you know something wasn't successful. Right. Yeah. That it, it changes it. It changes the relationship that you have towards it from one that is like this is a failed thing to a this is a thing that I did that I did the work to get me to this next yeah. step. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not juvenilia. It's not this. It's not. It's not um, categorized as anything other than than the thing you were doing in order to get to the next stage. Right. And it's it's preparatory. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's a fully fledged manuscript. Wow. It's great, but it's just also a preparatory etude. Yeah. There you go. Wow. 
I, yeah. I never, that is, that is something I've never thought about before. I don't think I have until this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't. Because I, I think I'm talking myself into feeling better Good. about stuff, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, um, this is something that I, I generally like asking the poets that I have on here just because I'm curious. Like how, so I guess it's like a two-part question. Mm-hmm. Why poetry? Mm-hmm. And how did that happen for you? And well, I'll get you some more water while. Uh, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, I'll think about this. Why poetry? Um, I figure that. Um, thank you. I I always wrote. I always wrote poetry, uh, but. I, like when when did when did it start? Like how young were you when you when you started writing poetry? About six. Oh wow! <laughs> I, was, uh, I was quite young, and um, and then and then I also wrote novels. I and you know what I did? I had um, a list of novel titles before I wrote the novels because I loved phrases like um, the, mm-hmm. whis- the whispering moon or something like that. And of course, I I have a list that I actively add to that is just memes for things. There you go. So I, I started doing that, and then, and then of course, um, um, found that very daunting because I think I wrote probably yeah. two small novels of about eighteen pages long when I was a child. <laughs> so um, and then I sort of stopped, um, and then started again when I was doing a PhD mm. um, many many years ago. But I found it. Um, so so the gap. So there's a huge gap between. Yeah, when you were writing into picking it up again? Yeah, I didn't really write that much as a teenager, which is probably um, curious. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I probably, you know, penned some agonized verses. <laughs> so I do remember doing that, but I actually didn't, you know, I just didn't. Um, I mean, obviously read a lot mm-hmm. and did other things, but I can't say that I, I was one of those teenagers who was always clutching a notebook. I yeah. just wasn't. That was me in grad school. Um, I mean, in under, well, undergrad and grad school. Um, I was I was that person in grad school, but it was for a different <laughs> different degree. It was um, I became an academic. Um, gotcha. And um, I never thought that, and this is this seems like quite a long time ago, but it's really not. I felt that that to write poetry that I I, I just wasn't I'd missed my chance. Mm. Um, that I, I should have tried a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was my it was my kind of respite, and I was felt as though I didn't know how to do it because I'd spent so much time um, taking a scholarly approach. I did a PhD on James Joyce for a start, and Finnegan's Wake. Oh God! Uh, and Ezra Pound, and just mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't I don't regret it at all. I mean, I have done it in the past, but now I've come full circle, and I'm glad I did it. It's it's fine. But um, but it it sort of uh, particularly Finnegan's Wake it gave me this very um, anarchic okay feeling for language mm-hmm. um, and also I don't know or also feeling as though I couldn't really do much with writing about Finnegan's Wake but I did anyway and then I felt very futile. So um, it's a quite an unhealthy relationship towards writing because a PhD is anyway. I think that it's an, a natural condition. Yeah. It's, it's an odd apprenticeship for rewards that are very um, nebulous. I, think. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with the discipline very much. Um, 
So, and then, and then I, and then I just did quite well. Mm-hmm. I got, I got a postdoc at UCL. Um, I had a job, or I, they call them in, in Britain, the, they're called junior research fellowships. I had one mm-hmm. at Cambridge. Oh wow! Um, or I'd applied and got one, mm-hmm. but I also applied for jobs in the United States, where I felt as though um, I don't know why I felt this so so keenly, but I felt my community was here. Because I've been to a couple of conferences. Has that has that <laughs> panned out? Do you do you still feel like your community is? Um, yes and no, because I have been back. I went back to Europe and lived in Amsterdam for seven years, and but um, in terms of the original community, no, because that was um, the it was Joyce studies, and I'm not really in touch with any of the people anymore. Um, not because we fell out, but because I just grew up. I just got older, and then <laughs> and then lost jobs and gained jobs, and yeah. and got fired and got rehired and, and just I've had quite a, a, a checkered um, professional life um, so yeah and then I, then I, 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 and I did get I got, I got a tenure track job in Iowa and, didn't, and just left the UK didn't go to Cambridge thankfully um, and then when I got to Iowa I realised that I didn't want my job and it was awful and I was very I felt bad at it and I was oh, very young man. I was only 28 I was very young mm-hmm. And I had this tenure track job, it was a lot of responsibility in an area that I'd been very successful at, but I wasn't enjoying anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started writing poetry. Mm. Just then, just then. And I wrote poems about my topic that I thought I, that I couldn't articulate in any other way. So I just wrote poems about, about modernism or about the, the language... Um, you know, permutations of Joyce and mm-hmm. um, uh, technologies, because the PhD was on um, radio and disembodied voice in uh, oh, early wow. acoustic technologies in the 20th century and things like that. So, so I just wrote about that, and that, and then, and then I, and then after two years, I, um, well, about a year and a half, I applied for MFA programs. I'd never heard of MFA in creative writing before. I applied for some programs and just walked down on my job and. Did never fail instead. So yeah, I just <laughs> left all of it. It's um, it was good. Yeah, and I had I had a I had a book contract as well to turn my PhD into a proper academic book and just left that and just never did anything with it. So yeah, and, and, and now I write poetry. <laughs> so yeah, it's quite odd. So I think it was just this odd rebellion that I I I thought to myself I'm not engaging with something that I clearly care about, but mm-hmm. I'm not engaging with it in the right way. Yeah. Um, I'll write poems about it instead. And that oddly became the first, my first poetry book years That's later. That's rever- yeah. reversible. Yeah. I feel like it's, <coughs> there's a, I don't know, there's a, there's a level of sense that this, that that track for you feels like it, it makes. Because um, it, like, it would be, it seems to me, and I don't know why this is the image that came to mind, but it, it, the image that came to mind was like, somebody who researches surfing. And like surfing yeah. culture, and they're you know like they know everything they know about like a history of how it happened and all this stuff, but they've never actually like surfed. Yeah. And then they finally do something. I mean, maybe not surfing, but like like skateboarding or something that's like surfing adjacent. And then it suddenly clicks. It's like, oh yeah, okay. It's like I'm I'm doing the thing that I'm I've spent all this time like researching and understanding and like maybe you wouldn't have been as successful at it had you not had this. You know, like done all yeah. of the, all of yeah. the steps to get yourself to really be able to sit inside of it, and then like the next, it seems to me the next logical step is like, 
you just do the damn thing. And then that and, it's yeah. like, that's the, that's it. That's, you know, that, yeah. that is how, like you said, it's like, that's how you, the relating and engaging with this topic is the way that, yeah. that makes, that fits is to do it and to not. That's it. That's, that's a, a much more eloquent way of, 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 of putting it. Actually. <laughs> no, it is. It's, um, cause I, I did have, uh, I think I wasn't particularly honest with myself about how, how much of a miserable time I was having in academia and how, um, and particularly the last t- couple of years that I was in the, in the UK permanently, um, I had a postdoc at University College London, as I think I said, and I also had a side hustle as the archivist for Stephen Spender's uh, entire life work. With his widow, who was in her 90s at the time, she was formidable and I was terrified of her. And I used to go to her house, their house in St. John's Wood. He'd passed away a few years previously. Mm-hmm. And I worked with his biographer, John Sutherland, who said, Natasha wants us to um, digitize it so that the Americans don't get it and we can put it in the British Library. So will you do it? And I was saying yes to everything at this stage. And I couldn't believe I was going to be close to one of... In fact, he'd, he'd made an appearance in my PhD and I'd written a few academic articles on him mm-hmm. for some reason. Um, so I, I, I got paid um, something like $50 a day to sit at this ancient computer surrounded by David Hockney paintings um, with all his diaries and letters just around me just like this. I couldn't read hardly any of his writing he used to he saved everything he was in the back of bus tickets and after a while because he wrote all the way through his very long life and um and i remember sitting there thinking what the fuck am i doing i'm so miserable yeah i'm at the seat of of ancient literary power in britain (laughs) i'm transcribing the prime minister of poetry's diaries into digital form and i've never been more bored and sad (laughs) you know so i have moments like that where ultimately it was quite a privileged position to be in, but right. I thought I can't. I just don't think I can do it. I can't be in this kind of service anymore. So I, I mean, so I had to. I mean, I have deep, deep admiration for the legacy of, of Stephen Spender, and also I, I, I did, I did, um, you know, value the time I spent with his wife, who was with Natasha, who trusted me, but. Um, but I knew ultimately that this was not something that I could do well yeah. as well. Do you know? It's, yeah. It was... Um, I feel is, like... Yeah, sorry, I, go on. I, no, I feel like that's like your your heart has to be 100% in that and yeah. the like be completely aligned with the sort of momentum and the the path that that's... You know, it's like if you're not if you're not on board with that, like yeah. you're not... It's, you're either going to be miserable or do a bad job or... Yeah. Both or Yeah, yeesh. that's that's the thing. And I just couldn't really I, I didn't have the energy. Yeah. Or, or in a way I probably had too much energy. Um now I would try to make it work and I would be more versatile, but then I was a lot <laughs> younger, I was thinking though there's there's so many things that I could I could yeah. engage with here and, and mm-hmm. um so so I'm 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 grateful for the for the opportunity it gave me, but I'm also glad that I didn't take it further because I just wouldn't have been, you know, the right person. Yeah. Um but it, but it did, it did make me think about um, about how happy poets are, and um, mm. I don't know if Spender seemed particularly happy. Um, I knew that I wasn't happy doing what I was doing, mm-hmm. and and it sort of stayed with me a bit, you know, when I got to the states, and I thought, um, yeah, something's wrong here because I can't stick at anything. I can't, 
um, I, I can't see a route for my research. I, mm-hmm. can't, I can't really um, see anything to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's when I thought, you know, I have to. I probably have to leave my career now. Wow. Or at least redirect it into yeah. something else. And I still don't quite know what that is. But <laughs> but I, then but then I went back to school. Yeah. So yeah, just for a couple of years. Um, and and again, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. But it's, it's, it's quite precarious if you sort of walk away from something that was originally quite um, secure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, within that, I mean, that also, like, giving... I feel like with poetry, or at least, I don't know, like art maybe in general, is that the sort of, like, unsettling or the shiftingness of the... Um, that, like, any any art... At least for me, any art that feels like it's sort of totally locked in and is one hundred percent like secure, it's like it. It's not. It's like not at its core, not doing what art to me is supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. So to like, it again. I don't. I don't know if this is just trying to like meaning making out of out of your <laughs> out of your life story, but the like giving up the security for poetry feels like that's like if you're you know going giving up to to do to be doing the thing and like the shifting and the sort of uncertainty of like that's like yeah. in a way sort of living the art <laughs> that yeah, you're that yeah, you're yeah, that you're giving so. up yeah. stuff for which yeah, has its you know has its benefits and also has massive pitfalls yeah with it too yeah because you, because you have to you you, you have to um, walk the walk a bit you yeah. know it, it, you have to make a go of it it has to be um I'm not saying you have to be successful, but you have to. It has to have been some way worth it. Yeah. And you have to have been. You have to say the same things that you were saying back then. Yeah. And 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 that's. I think I probably can. Um, I think I did it for the right reasons. Yeah. I mean, and I didn't quite know where it would lead then I wish I knew a little bit more now but you know I mean if you make a decision which is relatively large like that you can't expect all the pieces to fall yeah yeah I think I think yeah in instances like that it's probably like the best you can do is you just kind of you you roll with the hand that you're dealt with and it's like for better or worse like that's that's it and like you find ways to kind of make it work and I, I feel like kind of related to what we were talking about earlier that there's like there's no money in poetry that that I, I feel like that in that in that moment of making the decision to be like I'm going to do poetry, mm-hmm. there's the sort of implied, and something else to sustain yeah. the poetry yeah. that you know it's like that the sort of just at least I think that this is something that I, I would have appreciated having a little more insight of or at least mm-hmm. a little more awareness of back when I was doing like undergrad stuff and with writing is that like that there needs to be a cultivation of some other thing that you're interested in or some other way that you can sort of bridge these things together because just doing, like, there's no, you can't, like, it's not sustainable to be a poet. It's a, it's poet in parentheses yeah. and something yeah. else is a day job. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah, and, and usually that, that um, is in this, this some kind of residence in the academy. Right. Whether it be teaching creative writing, whether it be teaching something else, whether mm-hmm. it be going back to do a PhD and again and I'm at pains to say that I'm not diminishing any of these things 
Um, but there are a myriad of tracks through the academy. There are so many ways you can um, carve a life out. Right. Uh, I just wish we all got paid more, and I wish that um, you, you could have, you know, conceivably have a, a future. For, like, I wish everybody could conceivably have a future yeah. professionally there, but it's not the case, particularly yeah. um, in this country. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I wish uh, for different things. Um, but I also... Um, I'm also interested in people who turn away from academia and, and carve out lives outside, life, lives outside, yeah. um, and and still, um, you know, identify profoundly as a poet first and foremost. Yeah, um, I'd love to speak to people who actually have different professions to the, the <laughs> one that I I keep trying to run away from. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's I don't know. It's interesting that like I'm. I think have fallen unintentionally into what you just described because like my day job is a, I'm a cabinet maker. Like I work at a cabinet shop and like there are, and this is something that I've been thinking about over the last couple of months is like, are the, the sort of, are the, the pros of working where I work enough to sustain the sort of like creative life that I want? Or is there some like, I might like am am I being like would return to academia be a better choice for me or you know some other thing but I like there are there's some really one of the really amazing benefits is the fact that like when I went to the Vermont Studio Center I did that in um, June like I just vanished for a month from work and I was like I'm gonna be gone for a month and he was like my boss was like all right and when I came back I still had a job I just got right back into and it was that that level of I mean I'm so I'm a contract worker so I don't get if I'm not there I don't get paid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but just the freedom to be like I'm going to be away for a month and then just go yeah. and not have to worry about finding another job when I come back it's like I could just just get slotted right back into whatever the hell you yeah, know whatever's happened sweet. in the shop um, and like that one of the other I think amazing benefits which I I would argue for teachers, the fact that so much of the work that teachers do is outside of the classroom, to me, would, like, the th- and also the fact that they're working, like, usually more than 40 hours a week, in <laughs> depending how many classes that they're teaching, um, like, a teacher's pay should be astronomically higher than it is. It really should. But, and especially, I think, primarily because so much of the work that you do happens not in either the classroom or your office. Like, mm-hmm. there's shit that you have to... Like, grading and all that stuff has to happen mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of the confines of class. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the other really amazing things of working at the cabinet shop is, like, when I leave, that, like, I, I physically can't take any of my work home with me because it's usually big-ass cabinets. I can't fit my car. I don't have any of the tools that I would need to do anything yeah. here. There's no, like, emails that I have to answer. There's no phone calls I have to field. It's just... When I, when I leave work, I leave... Like everything that I was doing is, I put it down and I don't think about it or do anything with it until I'm there. It's blissful. And like, and I, I was thinking about it actually at City Lit when I was talking to the, my table mates, the, the idea that like, when I leave between like leaving work and going to work, all of that time, all that mental space is mine. It is 100% mine. And has been making me feel in the past couple of months, um, like I'm not, I'm not using it as well as I could, but 
the, kind of, I guess, maybe built in that. It's like, there's the freedom. It's like, if I want to come home and watch YouTube until I fall asleep on the couch, like, that, that is my, I, it may not be the best choice, mm-hmm. but, but it is a choice but that I can make. Yeah. Like, eating ice cream for dinner. It's like, it may not be the best thing to do, but some nights, it's like, I just, I'm just going to eat a pint of ice cream and then fall asleep on the couch. And like, so that's... this, this... <laughs> I'm very impressed, faintly envious. Very <laughs> yeah, that's it. I think that that kind of um, it's it sounds like uh, like liberty in a way. Yeah, you know that that um, that your again that that mental space that we um, often um, I think isolate. You know where poetry happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it can get quite infected if you have a job such as mine or anybody's, um, you know, usually in education where where you can't switch off or you feel guilty if yeah. you do. And, all, and, and you're working with words and you, you're trying to help people become better writers. Or, yeah. um, and it, and I, I trick myself into saying, well, if I'm thinking about poetry today in a class, it means that I, I'm still a poet or it means that one day yeah. I'll write a poem. Uh, which, uh, true, but be not true because I haven't done my work, right? You know, and I haven't yeah. actually allowed my 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 head to, um, you know, invest itself yeah. in what I what I really want to do. But, you know, I mean, I don't think there's any perfect, um, no. kind of balance unless it's lifelong residency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which would be a, or like being a writer in residence at some college yeah. would just yeah. be like oh fuck I want which like you can't do unless you've published a whole bunch of shit and have gone through all of this other rigmarole but yeah again and then and the professionalization of writing is so uniquely connected to universities yeah. which makes me very you know a little even more cynical yeah there is um, so I I have I recently got one of potentially the strangest books that I have in my library. It is a collection, it is an anthology of haiku written about baseball, which is just like, it was a we. I was looking, I was trying to find a, um, I was, I bought a pair of shorts, like workout shorts on Amazon and it was, I was trying to get enough so that it would be a free shipping <laughs> and I was looking through my wish list and I saw that I had some, for some reason, wish listed this haiku, I guess like. So you, 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 you were looking after your future self. Yeah. <laughs> but I like, it has been, it has been one of the most enjoyable things that I've read in a long, long time. And I, I found out something about Jack Kerouac that I will share with you in a, in a little bit, but okay. there is like, it just in before each like there's a little uh, blurb about like uh, the poet and then their haiku about baseball yeah. and there, there's like you know life stuff or you know, like little brief biographies of stuff and there was one one poet in there I don't remember what his name was that was the poet in residence at a cafe like back in the 70s or like the 60s or 70s for a, like a year or a couple of months which was like that it feels like there's these weird like these weird little pockets of things that you can find, but it feels like it, you have to be at the right place at the right time and just like luck into finding this thing. That's like all I want to do is drink tea and, and write poetry. Yeah, that, that, that would yes. be my dream residency. So I found out that Jack Kerouac went to Columbia University on a football scholarship. I didn't know that. I didn't know it either, and it totally changes my view of Jack Kerouac as this like I I thought of him. I guess stereotypically is the, like the beat, you know, that you just sort of think back on. But he was like, he was a jock. He was, he was a straight up fucking jock. And I was like, this makes no, it makes no sense. 
but mm. also kind of makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this is this is no. Again, again, I'm feeling more edified. Maybe I should, I should, you know, be be more respectful of my my lacrosse team <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> what really? I didn't know that. Yeah. He. Was he um, good. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was. Good, he was right? like a star. I don't. I don't remember what position he played, but he was like he had gotten. He was like a star member of his high school football team and then got the scholarship for Columbia and then I think got a, like a string of injuries that prevented him from playing. And then, mm-hmm. But I was thinking like over, over the weekend at City Lit, just because I was surrounded by like books and people talking about literature and stuff, just thinking through like if he wouldn't have gotten injured, would he have still like would poetry still have been a thing that he had done? Would he have been the, one of the, like, the first maybe only great like athletic poetry writers or athletic poets something to think about or like was it inevitable that he would have eventually just fallen into poetry yeah, or would he have written different poetry would it have been later in life yeah. poetry which is different from yeah like would he have would he have been the figurehead of the beat movement or would he have been you know like part of the images movement or no I guess images were, were way earlier than that but like like maybe the like the postmodern shit that language happened language poetry yeah <laughs> like what, what would Jack Herrick football what? language poetry be um that would be a very good um kind of imitation exercise wouldn't it get get your students to write yeah i might (laughs) that would appeal to the athletes wouldn't it okay that i had no idea about that yeah you might so i didn't i just i just thought about this it might be worth um I don't know if you if you can find these online, but it might be worth bringing like the the baseball haiku to your sports yeah. kids. Okay. Just to show like, like this is this is what you can you can encapsulate a moment in this particular style of. Okay, I have to see these. Um, I know that you know Crystal Langwell, who um, she um, uh, she works at Poetry Foundation. She's an editor for Belladonna. She lives in Chicago at the moment, and she started writing um, baseball poems. I think she, she, she writes for, um, oh, where does she write? Uh, anyway, yeah, look her up. She, she's um, also uh, taking a unique turn in her own writing, and she's doing sports poetry as well. I think this, this is a new field. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> what was the second part of your question? Oh, um, I don't. I got, I got... It was, it was like, why poetry? And then... Oh, uh, um, I get... Well, there was the, like, how, how it happened. Oh, it's... I answered, yeah. Okay, um, I answered them both. Yeah. yeah, wow. I can't, like, what... Was there, was there a reason you started writing when you were, like, young? Or is it just, like, were you reading a lot of poetry? Or is it just that sort of... Yeah. Okay. I was just reading a lot and writing a lot and doing lots of imitations. And, um, and yeah, and I, and I thought that it was, it was the way that I... I was sort of the usual lonely, bullied, all that kind of thing. It was the way I accessed the world and thought that would be how the world accessed me. Mm-hmm. That sort of solipsistic, childlike solitude thing. Yeah. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, that, that was how. And then, and then that you know, didn't, didn't stick. And, um, have you, have you returned to the poetry that you wrote when you were that young? Just to no, like... I think my, 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 my parents have it. My mother has it somewhere. Um, I'd like to see it. Did you write when you were a kid? I wrote, the earliest things that I wrote were really, really bad song lyrics. Um, which is weird that that's how I started. And like, I'm, I'm a musician as well, but yeah. all of, I think with the exception of maybe one song, all of the things that I've written are instrumental. Like I don't, it's, yeah. it's part of it is like a, is a kinesthetic thing that it's, it's really difficult for me to um, do something other than playing an instrument while I'm playing an instrument. Got it. Um, and I have not 
when I was growing up, there were lots of um, instrumental bands that I gravitated to, and I was like, oh shit, you can you can make like popular, quote unquote, popular music yeah. with no lyrics. Um, so I never, it was never a um, skill set that I put any effort into trying to teach myself. Like I think I could do it. I just I've never, I haven't done it, and I have really no desire to. But I started out with lyrics and then wrote I think my first poem maybe in like seventh or eighth grade and then I was like oh this is something that I in, I enjoy doing in my um my freshman year of high school we had a the was this was one of the first times that I had like a creative option for a project mm -hmm. to do I don't remember what the hell we were reading but I did a like a a epic romantic poem a la uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, but about a... You have to see this. This is great. Um, but I was, I was also very Christian at that point in my life. So it was a, like a, a very uh, thinly veiled, or maybe not even veiled at all, like, like Christian allegory thing. Of, even, even more veiled than the Ancient Mariner? That's I, no, I mean, it was, it, was more, it was more overt than yeah. the Mariner, but there's still, there, I, I don't remember if there was like even, like maybe just a covering of something similar to, I think it may have started out similar to like... Um, Dante's Inferno. I, I think it may have started out with like some kid getting in an, like a car accident, mm -hmm. and then sort of like having this weird spiritual journey that you're not sure if he's like dead or alive or you know like accessing. I I don't know. I Did was, you have a copy of this? Somewhere? I don't. I don't think so. It may be on an old old computer of mine. But I did like hand drawing. Like I did because the version of the A Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner that we read had the like the woodblock carving like illustrations to it. So I did my own for like I think. Maybe I did like four or five panels of like illustrations that go with this thing. If I was your teacher, I would have been just delighted by I this. I think I think she gave me an A. Yeah, she was also like a. she was a I think a she used to be a nun, but she renounced her her oh. being a nun. So she was all I was I was at a Catholic high school, so uh -huh. she was very much into like <clears throat> Christianity and that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that I I'm I'm fairly certain that I got an A for that. But it was like that, that was it was a. After that, it was a sort of a slow development of like, this is something that I'm sort of interested in. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I wound up going to college at first for music um, because my brother and I were, were playing music together and we were thinking of like doing something with that. And then the university that I was at was a soul suck of creativity and I was like, I cannot be here. What university? University of New Orleans. Really? Yeah. Oh. For I think specifically for what I wanted to do with music and I think at the time like I was just I was not ready because like I, I just I wasn't in I wasn't at the point where I, I could do what I needed to do in order to make that yeah. a thing and the UNL music program was going through some changes and it was just like I can't I was like I can't do this so I was like well the only other thing that I'm at least slightly interested in is writing and the only other thing that I'm at least kind of good at is writing so I jumped ship to the University of Lafayette um, mm -hmm. or University of Louisiana at Lafayette yeah. um, and finished up there with an English major is a with concentration of creative writing and a minor in film studies which I have never put to any use well you're you're, you're still young <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so it was like the it wasn't until maybe like really, really late in undergrad that I picked up my first collection of poetry to read just for my own edification, yeah. um, which I think is probably why Mary Oliver has the place 
occupies the place that she does for me. Books. It was Redbird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was at a Barnes and Nobles, and for whatever reason, I was in the poetry section, and I saw it, and I picked it up, and I started thumbing through it there, and I was like, I, because up until then, I was, I thought I was like, I was real into the romantics, like I loved Blake, all the weird shit that he was doing, yeah. and then I, like I didn't really move any beyond that, and then I found Mary Oliver, and I was like, oh fuck, there's like, good, contemporary poet. I had. Oh, okay. So this is this is a thing now, and, and then you that thought, I could do this, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, for for a while, um, like through, I was I was devoutly Christian from 2001 to like 2008, 2009 ish, um, and all of the writing, or the vast majority of the writing that I did at that during that time was very like Christian themed and allegorical and. I viewed my writing as a gift from God and was like kind of the whole nine yards. And then I left Christianity very late in undergrad and was very, very anxious that my writing would vanish as well because yeah. I had never experienced writing outside of the sort of context of my, my faith and, and my belief in Christianity. Um, and there, like, there have been a couple of, I don't know, like epochs that I've seen in my own writing history mm -hmm. that I can very clearly see. It's like, this was like this era and then it shifted yeah, to this era and it shifted yeah. to this era. And there was a, there was a, I think it was like a spring evening um, that I was hanging out at my, the balcony in my apartment that I lived in, in, in Lafayette. Um, and it was like evening and like the, there was, it was getting dark and like an air conditioner kicked on and I got a line of poetry and this had been maybe like, six maybe eight months after I left Christianity and hadn't written yeah. anything and I got that line and I was like oh fuck it's not gone it's not gone and I was like I I can write about whatever the hell I want I, I can write about anything and then that was the sort of from there until yeah. grad school was a sort of like a writing in a particular way with a particular voice and when I got to grad school um, there was one class do you know the poet Aishin Hutchinson yes he, yes, he's great. He yeah. randomly taught at UB for like a semester. Really? I was in, okay. I was in, we did, it was like a weird hybrid memoir poetry class. Mm -hmm. So we read a bunch of memoirs and read a bunch of poetry and then just kind of like talked about it. Um, and I was working on this weird, like trying to do the hours of a day, but writing them as like haiku or writing them as like, or no, they, it turned into a haiku, but I was trying to write like hours of the day and doing this weird thing. And we, I submitted some stuff to him and um, we had like a one-on-one -on -one conference and he said that like there were two things or there was one thing in specific, specifically that he told me to check out and that sort of was the gateway. He told me to read um, Notes from the City of the Sun by Beidou. And like I read it and I was like, I don't, I've never read anything like this before. And I, like I'd been getting a lot of, in my workshops, I've been getting a lot of um, comments that my poetry was really abstract and there wasn't any sort of like anchor anywhere. Mm -hmm. So then like Aishin told me to check out Beidou, specifically that poem, which are almost haiku in the way that they're, they're constructed. It's, it's absolutely fabulous. And then I was like, well, what other type of poetry is really image based and like image heavy? And I picked up, Oh, it's not over here. I had, I picked up, a, um, like an everyman pocket library collection of just of haiku. I I don't know I don't know why, but I picked it up years ago and never read it. 
And I was like, well, the, the small amount of information I know about haiku is that it's, it's image-based. Mm -hmm. So I started reading it, and that was like, from that point to now is the sort of next right. era of, okay. of like really trying to do what haiku, like not only writing haiku, but sort of taking that idea of how poems are constructed and mm -hmm. sort of work that they do and using that as the foundation for the rest yeah. of the shit that I write. I see. Which, like, if it hadn't been for UB and that one random fucking class with Aishin, like, I would not, I wouldn't be... Yeah, you'd be pinged off in a different direction entirely. I don't, I don't even want to think about what, how I'd be writing... You, you'd you be know. writing something, but you wouldn't have known where else you yeah. would be. And then, so therefore you wouldn't be necessarily grieving, but it is quite horrifying to... Um, I, I also have those moments where I think... Yeah, what what I mean, not not quite as as uh, I guess pronounced as yours, but those moments where you think, um, oh, that might have been a juncture in life that I can't imagine not having happened. Yeah, it's you had you know? their Kerouac moments. There we go. <laughs> moments. Yeah, it's it is odd like that. It is odd. I don't think I um I had a moment like that particularly at grad school, um, but I I remember. Weirdly enough, when I was really young, I read Love Song of Jail for Proof Rock. Mm. I didn't know what on earth was going on, but I cried my eyes out at the end of it. And I thought, wait a second, there's something going on in this medium that I don't yeah. comprehend entirely. And I was quite young, but young enough to, but old enough to understand that this was uh, language being manipulated in a way that was complex to me, but I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but um, but I don't think I ever had the the moment where someone guides me and says. Um, read this because yeah. they they suspect that it's going to be a yeah I a like funny moment it's pretty wonderful I I would do UB again for that one conference with Aishin because like if it if it wasn't for him recommending Beidou like I mean I know that I I needed I think that I was in the right frame of mind and I had been yeah. I've been kind of toying around with like Japanese art aesthetics and some so I was think I was kind of primed and ready for that yeah. but like that was really that was it that was the thing that really that fundamentally at least in like this stage of my writing like really fundamentally changed how I related to words and how I um like I really I mean I don't I don't really think actively about it now and even when I write it's not really an active thinking it's like oh I'm I'm writing this in this particular way to get someone to feel this thing yeah. but yeah just thinking that like this is or at least maybe just sort of crystallizing like this is kind of how I want to use poetry and this mm -hmm. is what how I kind of want to generally affect people in the ways that I've seen it being used the most effectively it's like haiku, haiku is really like that's the way that I want people yeah. to feel when I when they read my stuff and like that's how I, I want to make them feel it so that's yeah. feeling that sort of that compression that sort of blaze of color that kind of yeah okay. which is also yeah. sort of like in a weird way, sort of was the beginning of the the crystallization or the the understanding of that that sort of paradox that you get like hyper specific yeah. and it opens up because like haiku to me are in their own weird way like a distillation of an of an experience yeah. or an event or a happening that you draw it down into its core emotional whatever and you give like essentially just the bones and the framework and then when someone reads it they fill in the rest of the stuff so they, yeah. they start with the emotion and they fill in however it is that they would get to the emotion yeah and so, it's a collaborative yeah the readers, isn't well it? there yeah there's a um, I don't know 
I don't think this is Basho, but I feel like it's a it's an old it's been attributed I think to a lot of haiku poets the the idea that like a haiku that is that is unread is not finished like it it necessitates or unheard I mean I it was haiku started out as like a, a kind of a party like a spoken word party mm-hmm. game sort of thing and then mutated into what they are now but like a haiku that doesn't have an audience is an unfinished thing because it, okay, it necessitates yeah. someone listening to it to sort of fill in the gaps. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a generous medium then, isn't it? Yeah, it becomes a codependent, not a codependent, a project. Yeah. Sort of ongoing project. And the thing that I've always been... So I, like, music was sort of my first artistic medium, like the thing that really sort of unlocked figuring emotions out. And I, I relate in sort of emote, or I relate to music and experience it on like an emotional level. Um, and it's in weird ways, it's easier for me to, to like directly transfer an emotion into music than it is into writing. Yeah. It feels like in writing, there's lots of translation that has to happen. And with translation, there's always things that are like lost. With yeah. music, I feel like I can directly just take this thing and put it there, and that's it, which is one of the reasons why I don't like doing lyrics with the music that I write because like, it's, it's just infected it's yeah it's like I'm just I'm there's nothing I need to say about it you just listen to it and you feel whatever it is that you feel and like that's do, do, do you collaborate with other people do, like, like do you do the music and they write lyrics for you or mm. would you not trust I haven't them? yet but it's yeah. something that I've been I've been trying to think of ways to be to do something like that and yeah. um because that, that would absolve the responsibility yes. for you wouldn't mm-hmm. it so yeah but with um so in thinking about like trying to capture an emotion in in language, I feel like haiku is as close as you can get without using words mm-hmm. in poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from like language poetry, which is like it's the sounds yeah. that and it's not necessarily meaning making out of the words, but like the the best description of what haiku, at least modern or contemporary haiku do is something along the lines of like you you the poet feels or has an experience and they feel something, they recognize that they can't put the feeling accurately into words, so instead they will distill the experience down to sort of like the, the yeah. core happening and then give that to the reader in the hopes that it pings like the, the, yeah. the appropriate emotion in them too. So it's in a weird sort of roundabout way of emotional yeah. transfer, which as at least for what I'm doing with, with my poetry, like that's that's what I'm about. Like, I want you to feel shit when you read my stuff, which is why I think I gravitate very heavily towards like Mary Oliver or Jane Hirschfield or um, Charles Wright are kind of my big three right now. Because mm-hmm. that's like, I feel in them, they're working in similar, different, but at the core sort of similar, like it's the emotional transfer yeah. that they're trying to get to you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I see what you mean. Have you, have you written about haiku? Um, like you've written any essays or no but I have done two pretty long uh, podcasts where I talk about Mm -hmm. I talk about it Um, I'm actually I'm at a point now where I'm it feels kind of anathemistic to me to write write stuff aside from poetry yeah um which is I I recently started like a a sidecast to the podcast where I review books where it's just Mm -hmm. like because I've wanted to do that for a while but I was like I don't want to fucking write (laughs) <laughs> my review I'll just, I'll just I'll talk about it whatever yeah um, but yeah. Yeah. yeah cause it I don't it's easier for me to like 
I think now it's easier for me to synthesize my thoughts mm-hmm. actively into a, mm-hmm. like a spoken thing rather than having to have done. Cause I feel like I would have to do all this work anyway to get it to be concise enough to write it out. Yeah. So if I'm going to be doing all this work anyway, I might as well just have that as, yeah, have that as yeah. the work instead of, yeah. which is maybe like, if I ever, if I ever go for a PhD, I think I would probably do UC Santa Cruz just because they're weird. And there's a lot of things <laughs> that I feel like I want to do. That's like, I would, I would love to do a thesis, like my, whatever my thesis was, but not written just as like a series of like verbal. Oh, I t- you know what? I tried to, I asked my, uh, my supervisor years and years ago when I was doing mine, if I could, if I could, um, you know, um, in some way cohere or articulate the PhD in a different medium. And this was a very long time ago. And, uh, the response was a resounding no, but you could definitely do that at Santa Cruz. Is Ronaldo Wilson still there? I think he is. I have no idea. He'd be great to work with. Yeah. But that feels like, for your PhD, the fact that it's in, like, disembodied voice. It's like, that's perfect. I you know. just do, like, a radio. Very disappointed. Like a, I know. Like I an invis- Invisibilia-style, yeah. like, <laughs> like <Yeah>. four-episode, in-depth <laughs> serial before it's serial. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was very disappointed about that. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I got over it, and then, I, as I said, I wrote about it in a different way. Yeah. But I still think about, I still think about revisiting it at some point. So I feel like I feel like we're probably rounding around the end. So I'm okay. going to ask you my traditional final two questions okay. that I ask to my guests. Yes. First one is, if you have the vocabulary for it, mm-hmm. what is your internal landscape like? Um, yeah, you, you sent this to me, and mm-hmm. I thought about it, and then I thought about it some more, and then forgot about it, and then <laughs> thought about it again. And, it's, and it changed. I can't remember what I thought. So, no, that's, so that's, um, that's I, cool. I, I maybe have the landscape. Um, and it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a physical landscape. <clears throat> Somebody was a swirl of colors with a thickness akin to like frosting. Somebody else was like the inside oh, of a geode. Really? Oh, that was mine. Sorry. No, <laughs> no I think the, um, at the moment, um, because I think it does change rather, um, my internal <clears throat> landscape feels at the moment like a, a series of interior rooms Ooh. my interior landscape is rooms um mine is that sometimes too yeah i wonder what that means i don't know um yeah they're, they're rooms that i am um actively perambulating around okay or they're rooms that um i'm trying to um i'm trying to get somewhere different okay it feels quite there's a sort of a claustrophobia there. That's okay. what my inner landscape is at the moment. Do you, do you feel like when you are trying to get somewhere, you're trying to get out or just somewhere different in the series of rooms? Um, it varies. Okay. Um, I, I'm aware that there's always something on the, the other side, but I'm not quite sure how to get out. Okay. Um, but it, it's usually, yeah, it's, it's usually, I wouldn't, wouldn't go as far as to say um, I'm conscious of, actively wanting to escape because that would turn into a dreamscape right this isn't this is something different mm-hmm. uh, it, it's more a sense of um not being settled in a particular room and trying to get to the next one okay via any passage necessary okay and that they're not it's not comfortable either this is not it's like a, not like a room like this it's more uh small interior regions that are unsatisfactory okay that's, that's as far as I can go. Interesting. Mm. Because mine, 
this was a sort of paired with like the the discovery of or the introduction to Baydal. There was a moment that I had after um, a couple months after like a, a really emotionally devastating breakup that I was wandering around my old neighborhood and I sat on like a there's a little like small like internal park and I sat on one of the benches and I, I looked up at the sky and I had this moment of I don't know if this is like enlightenment but it might be as close as I, I can it's like the complete connection with myself that I had this vision of some like avatar of myself sitting down on a log in like this vast prairie looking up at the sky and chain like because there was all these I had a bunch of thoughts of like this internal ache and the space that I was feeling that when I was a Christian was kind of I interpreted as like this the hole that God should have filled and then one of the reasons that I left Christianity is that I continued to feel this ache and like if God's not filling it up that either I, there's something else that I'm missing or this thing is too big for him and whatever but <clears throat> I finally arrived at a point of like this is not a hole. This is not a void. This is not a defect. It's just it's internal space. It's and like, space. what is that? And it manifested to me as this like vast prairie. Um, and occasionally there's like a building, like a small single room, like almost like an apartment, um, like a studio apartment on the prairie that there is like the, the sort of um, reception room is a really Spartan um, bedroom. Yeah. But there's a door, and then opening up that door is the sort of like all the rest of the rooms of me. Right. Okay. This this is that you're, you're articulating it better than than I could. Yeah. Maybe 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 this is something similar. Yeah. Because yeah, I've I'm often sure. I've often thought about like my part of my internal landscape, or like part of like I don't know if this is a, a manifestation of compartmentalizing or what, but I've often viewed like in my internal space at times is a series or like enclosed in the other landscape is just a series of like rooms that you yeah. just, it's like, it's a huge fucking house and there's just rooms and stuff yeah. that you're just walking through yeah, and doors true. that are there and then not there. And then doors that are always there that you don't realize. Like there is, there've been a couple of times in my life that like I've, I've walked past a door that I know, like I suddenly see for the, for the first time, but I get the sense that it's been there yeah. for years and it's yeah. just I've never noticed it and then I'm like oh there's there's some room here now um, yeah that, that was a kind of trope that horror movies use in, in a sort of um, mm-hmm. you know quite diminishing way but it's but it is it is like it must be a kind of it has significance yeah you know? and I when I was um, dealing with the sort of like the grief of, of, my, of Matthew my brother no longer talking to me there was the, the sort of like Part of the, part of my process of going through the grief was the sort of mental image of like my relationship with him and my sort of memories and like him occupying a particular room that I was like consciously not going into sometimes. And then like in Vermont, when he sort of showed up in my poems, it'd be like, yeah. you're out yeah. for a walk yeah. and then you're not really meaning to go anywhere. And then you wind up someplace. And I was like, I was in front of that room again and the door was open and it's like this stuff was coming out it's like oh okay i haven't i haven't been back here in like years but all right i, I guess i'm there now and, yeah. and let and let's see how i can you know this can transmute into something That's yeah really interesting i'm i'm curious if if there is like an exterior to those rooms mm-hmm. like if it's yeah, if so if hard. there's if the if the whatever structure is that houses these rooms if there's something outside of that and if so like what? Uh, I I wonder. I think 
Um, I haven't quite got that far. I, I think um, I think it's a, a world that, in some ways, I'm debarred from. Hmm. That's what it feels like, and, and that's and that's I can't, I can't visualize it. Maybe I don't have the vocabulary for it, but it feels as though I'm. Um, it, it's just a this is a labyrinthine series of interior spaces that um, I can't quite navigate out of yet. That feels very Edo Calvino. Mm, it does a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> what, was, what was the second question? Oh, the second <laughs> Before I get... Because, now, because that, that would worry me if it wasn't Calvino, wouldn't it? Um, the second question is, uh, is there anything you want to ask me? Is there anything that I want to ask it, you? Like across any... Not yeah. like any subject, anything's open. Just anything that yeah. in the course of leading up to this podcast that you were interested okay. about. Or... Um, yeah, what, what are your... Um, why, why the podcast? Why the, the, this particular medium? Um, the, the main genesis of it was that when I left undergrad, um, I was feeling sort of a glut of having conversations <coughs> with, I mean, not undergrad, when I left grad school, I was feeling the glut of like, you know, finishing up a class and then going out and getting a drink with yeah. friends and just talking, you know, like shop or talk, like deep diving mm-hmm. into whatever the hell we were talking about in class. Um, and I was, I was really feeling the sort like the, the void of that. So okay. I was, um, was trying to think of ways that I could sort of artificially engineer having a space or at least creating a space for those conversations to happen and thinking that like framing it as somebody happening over here, two people talking like in a bar or a restaurant or wherever after, you know, like in depth about art or poetry and feeling like there's value to like that overhearing so which is why I've tried to structure it as mm-hmm. like as an interview but try to be more loose like a conversation and just yeah, it see yeah feels very much like a conversation and just yeah. like just see what happens because like I you know there are there are questions that I you know I had the list that I sent you but you know like usually I usually only lean on those if the conversation is not flowing super yeah. well which is not not to be disparaging to any of the any of the guests that I've had, but sometimes like you know meeting someone fresh, if it's yeah. someone that I have I've never talked to before, mm-hmm. I've only mm-hmm. talked to a little bit, it can be you know, like it's, it's there's some rust that sometimes needs to be worked yeah. through, and yeah. it's nice having a thing that you can sort of like if there's a lull or a pause and mm-hmm. it seems like the conversation's not going anywhere, you're like okay, well I'm gonna ask you this, um, but yeah, it was really just as a means, similar to the reason I started my press is that there was just mm-hmm. people that I wanted to talk to talk to about poetry that when I was in undergrad, I mean, when I was in grad school, I never got a chance to. And I was like, well, I feel like everyone has a podcast now. And, and why not? It seems like it's easy to do. And it, it was pretty, <laughs> pretty easy to get started. Well, it's, it's true about those conversations. I mean, and, and amazingly, you managed to coax me out. I'm very reclusive. <laughs> I, you know, I actually am. I don't, I don't, I don't really do, do this kind of thing. Um, but, but having done so, I'm, I'm remembering that um, it's very rewarding and it's not easy to replicate unless um, you formally do give it a name like a podcast yeah. or an interview because our lives are so busy and because we do um, again it goes back to that um, not necessarily guilt but reticence we have in privileging poetry or yeah. talking about poetry unless it's been given right in, it's, it's in the guidelines of a formal degree. Yeah, you know? and I, I feel, yeah, like that, 
that sense of like, oh, this is time that I could have spent doing something yeah. else. It's yeah. like that. And I've, I, that's something that I mean, I I know that it is now. It's sort of like, quote unquote, institutionalized as a podcast. But I feel like it's a way for me to to acknowledge that there's value in like two or a, co- a handful of people getting together and like talking about this mm-hmm. stuff. Cause it like, you know, the, there are things, there have been things that came up with this podcast, like the, the apprentice book. I never, like I never would have thought about mm-hmm. that and have ch- that makes me wonder. And I'm thinking now back now, like of poems that I have is like, maybe I don't need to publish them. Maybe they just like, maybe they, they yeah. served what, like mm-hmm. there's a purpose that they were intended for. They serve that purpose. And like, that's, I can have yeah. them as a thing I can look back on, but like there's mm-hmm. that, that's it. Like they were for me and that's, that's it. And it's okay to say that. Yeah. And we should all say that to one another about it. And, and it would sort of make, I think in some way lessen the anxiety we have about productivity. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm hope that, at least in the, in this way that like with this podcast it's like it also can be that sort of lessening of the reins of you know like this was I feel like a productive podcast for me. Um, I hope so. Like likewise for me as well as I said I'm actually out. Yeah, <laughs> but I also feel like there's you know like it it if it's just if it's entertaining like that yeah. there's a there's a degree of maybe not this this end all be all of the the value of this thing but like if that's a value or an intrinsic part of someone's approachment to this podcast or you know any other thing it's like that's valid you know it's great always always yeah but yeah, yeah so it was it was really just an excuse to like talk to people that I I want to talk to about poetry and just pick their brain about shit cuz I that that's also something that like the 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 reasoning or the reason that the the internal landscape question came up is that for the first I don't know maybe like five or six guests that wasn't a that wasn't a standard question but there was one guest that I had that it came up randomly just over the course of the conversation and she mentioned that her internal landscape was this like a sci-fi alien planet that was populated by other people and I was like whoa what you whoa what because she said that there was like when she would write there would be voices that she could tap into or things that like think other not like other voices quote-unquote other voices but like there were things that you could tap into that felt like they were part of her but sort of like an ancillary thing and that for her was the the population of this world and i was like that's a wild and alien thought to me wow I have to ask other people about this because that like, I know what mine is and I've had a, it's a pretty static image for me, but I was like, I, this is a, everyone else has to have an internal landscape yeah, and do. like, they do. It's, it's a, it's a pointed question. I think that, and the fact that mine sort of shifted around and, and I wasn't quite sure, you know, how to figure internal. Was it something that I envisaged? Was it something that I sensed? Mm-hmm. The, the very, the very, the question itself is, in, is interesting to, to work through yeah. you know because it can be um, very you know malleably interpreted and I think that just as you were saying that there are phases to people's writing there's probably phases to how that writing is accessed and yeah. what the interior landscape may be defined as yeah because I, I feel like I feel like I've talked to some people that theirs has shifted or it, it changes yeah. it's, it's mutable and like that again is a, a really interesting concept for me that like mine's now that I've sort of discovered what it is it feels like it has always been that and it will always be that and it's just like that's that's the thing that exists on the inside of me 
the sort of like poetic emotional core of whatever of who I am is like that's that's this but you don't know in 10 years you could be saying something right yeah it's like it is it is fixed now but it could yeah. it could change or it like it could be a different I don't know some other manifestation of physical landscape or it could turn into yeah. some purely abstract thing I don't know but it it was that's it's I feel like I think that one of the like, sort of related to why I did this podcast was that I, I think that you you can get a really good sense about a person by listening to like what they talk about and how they talk about it yeah. um, which so like and I feel like specifically with like people's poetry because I've, I've read a small amount of your poetry but I feel like I now have a pretty good sense of like how like how you how poetry happens for you and like how you utilize yeah. it based on our conversation and I'm curious now to like find more of your stuff to see if that like yeah. if that let me lines let up. me know <laughs> um, but yeah and I feel like with yeah. with the internal landscape like that that can reveal at least like maybe where somebody is in a given Always. like in just at the time of the conversation or whenever they thought about like they came up with the image of it it's like you can get sort of a snapshot of like this is who they are and this is kind of where they are and you know it might it might manifest in other aspects of their life or you know the ways that they think about things or the ways that they they move through their life or the world but you know it's like it not not to say that it explains everything but it, mm -hmm. it's like an add some clarity to maybe an overall picture or just yeah. give some insight or something but mm -hmm. yeah it, it is it is proven to be one of my favorite and one of the more uh, interesting questions that I that I ask people. Yeah. Um, just because, like, I honestly it gave me it gave me a lot of thought. <laughs> so no, and and, th and thank you. You know, I'm glad you you asked it. It made me. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm slightly unsettled, but I shall. But maybe I need to commune with it a little bit more. Yeah, and maybe I, I maybe I, do some writing. Yeah. Maybe I should write again. You know. I mean that that to me would be an amazing chapbook of like an yeah. exploration of the inner rooms. Yeah, and like, and I that that to me is. Asking that question is, is proven to be to be valuable to get people to at least think of because I think probably a number of people that I've talked to have never thought about that before seeing that question and like it gives them hopefully like a maybe a better clarity or better understanding of themselves or just another access point that they have yeah. to be like oh this is yeah, this is definitely. something else about me that I can engage with that you know yeah. could lead to something interesting or. Yeah. insightful or or maybe something people have been pushing away Ooh, they, yeah they, they want to, to um you know completely um i don't know if, if not engage with then register yeah you know so no i i greatly appreciate it and thank you and thank you for this this conversation <laughs> yeah this is fantastic yeah thank you thank you again as i said i don't really do these these kind of things very often so um it's been it's been a great experience thank you very much yeah um, well, I think that that'll do it. Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Um, and I'll talk to you all next time.